It's time to stop dealing and start demanding. It's time to stop being PC and start being transparent and authentic. It's time to get real. Prepare yourself. It's time for Crazy and the King. Welcome to Crazy and the King. How are you, Torin? Yeah, I think this is uh, number eight. Um, number eight. I really wish as listeners that we had a way for you to peer into our pre-conversation. Julie and I just had <laughs> an incredible exchange with one another. I absolutely appreciate my pod partner. I'm good, Julie. How are you? I'm pretty wonderful. I, and actually, I have to tell you that I am at home today. Good. And... I realized this morning that of the now eight episodes we have recorded, this is only the third one where both of us are actually at our home base and we're not on the road. Is that crazy or what? It's good. And I love being home, man. I like my house. You know, some people can't say that. I got some people sitting at conferences that are like happy as hell that they are not at home. I'm good being home. Yeah, I miss my house. I miss my couch and my dogs and all that. So Absolutely. Hey, so look, uh, did you find any Easter eggs? Because it was the weekend, right? <laughs> no, I found probably a couple beers, maybe a, a glass of wine, but no Easter eggs. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Cool. So listen, always good to reconnect. I know that you... Um, shared with me that we've snagged some new listeners, a few new subscribers. And so quick housekeeping, all of the good listeners out there, we appreciate you here at Crazy and the King. Um, but if you do anything for us, please, please, please find the share button. I don't care what platform you're on, Podbean or iTunes or some other uh, listening platform. Please, please, please find that share button. Tell a friend to do exactly the same thing. We generously appreciate your support. Yeah, yeah. You're actually going to be seeing us on Spotify and iHeartRadio pretty soon. We actually just got those submitted and we're waiting on the RSS feed to be approved. So um, you're going to be able to find us even more places. Absolutely. And this is important because the bottom line is when you encourage others in your digital tribe, in your workplace, in your community, in your church, in your family, When you listen to us in that brand new Tesla that you're driving in, when you listen to us, you signal to them that DNI is at least of interest, at least of interest, and perhaps even important. So we really do want you to subscribe and to share with others that you are listening to Crazy and the King because we are talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Julie, we have a couple of great topics. You want to kick it off? Oh, yeah. So I think it's a really interesting um, couple of of stories that we have today. And the first one we're going to start off with is a new NPRM, which is a Notice of Proposed Rulemaking that came out in the Federal Register. Um, It actually came out about 60 days ago. uh, The 23rd of April is the last day that you can actually comment on it. But it just kind of came out through the the WAPO and a couple of New York Times stories over the last few days. Um, And it, it relates back to a great conversation that you and I had torn. If you'll remember, I think it was episode three where we talked Koch brothers and fix it. Sherm and the first step act, uh, <laughs> that episode got 
some of our ravest reviews and, and strongest reactions. Yeah. It was super fun. And yeah. we're going to stay away from the politics um, on, on this one because I think that's important because we've got a lot of interesting things that we need to talk about and how it impacts our employers. But as you know, Torin, um, what was it, December, that the first act, the first first step, Thank you. The First Step Act was signed into law by President Trump. And it was really, I think, and we're going to have to kind of see it put into action, really positive, bipartisan uh, criminal justice reform. And so that happened. Everyone celebrated. There were big parties at the White House and, and all that stuff. But what has happened then in the interim is that the Office of Personnel Management has through this notice of proposed rulemaking. And just to make sure that this makes sense for our non-legal listeners, notice of proposed rulemaking happens when the agencies of the federal government are deciding how rules are going to be, or I'm sorry, how laws are going to be enacted. So we have the regulation that is the law, and then the rules then go and put basically that law into process and into rules. And whenever a rule is changed, the federal government's required to give the public 60-day notice to comment on it. Does that make sense? It does. Yep. And you said the 60-day mark is when? It actually is April 23rd. Okay, got it. So, so we're right there. But as this relates to the First Step Act and all we've been talking about with criminal justice reform is that um, OPM has updated or they're going to update now that this this trial period or this rule period is going to be closing the questions related to federal employment and also federal contractors about what they can ask when it comes to convictions and imprisonment, par- parole, probation, all of that kind of stuff. And what the question had involved before was just really simple. During the last seven years, have you been convicted, imprisoned, uh, been on probation, or been on parole? That included felonies, firearms violations, and misdemeanors. And if you say yes, you're checking the box, right? We've all heard of, of ban the box. And that's what can be asked on a federal employment or a federal contractor employment form. And the proposed change is, it's pretty, pretty deep. Um, The proposed changes during the last seven years, have you been convicted of any crime, including misdemeanors, firearms violations, domestic violence, alcohol, drugs, etc. So we're getting a lot deeper there. But then it also adds, and here's the real kicker of the story, Have you ever been subject to judge or court-specified conditions requiring satisfactory completion before a criminal charge is or will be dismissed? Uh So what does that mean? That means that if you have been a part of a pretrial diversion program, you'll now be required to disclose that. So you will be checking that box, even though your criminal background check should, and it doesn't always, I think we've, we've probably all seen cases where it doesn't, come back clean after you've after you've completed that program. And again, Julie, just to uh, jump in real quick and I'll let you keep going, you know, for our listeners, just a reminder that the diversionary programs are in place because people feel like the infraction, the crime wasn't serious enough to have to spend time behind bars, to have to have that mar on a person's record. Right. But that they could do community service, that they could 
uh, you know, do some number of other things, perhaps serve some level of probation, go to counseling or some 12 step type program. So those are what we call diversionary programs. Go ahead, Julie. Yeah. Yeah. And and who benefits from diversion programs? It's really young offenders, first time offenders, like you said, to our nonviolent crimes, like a, a DUI is probably one of the most common diversion programs that we, we've heard of. Um, as some states, even like Florida, have special diversion programs for veterans. And so on, on one side of, of the fence, we're celebrating the First Step Act and all of the, the really good, um, honestly, things that are are going to come out of this and hopefully all the funding goes through so that they can really maximize the impact of this law. But on the other side, you have barriers that are making securing employment even harder. So, you know, if we talk about a diversion program, some really interesting things that I've been reading over the last couple of days is the state's and even individual like county and, and city prosecutors, they really have full reign over who gets to participate in a program, um, mm-hmm. what the fees are, the timeline for those fees. And, and some of those pieces actually have a lot of bias built into them already. Absolutely. And so a lot of times black or brown people are not getting, and, and especially what I've read, poor people who can't pay fees and, and excessive fines are either not eligible by determination of a local prosecutor, or if they are part of a program and they can't pay those fees, then they get right back in and their their case is prosecuted. And so there are a lot of benefits to doing a diversion pr- plan, but in, in my mind, other than avoiding jail or prison, the, the number one is, is not having to talk about it when you go for a job. And I've been part of and and worked on a lot of applicant tracking systems and processes. And one thing that I see most often and and really has always concerned me about this kind of a thing is that when you check that box, wherever it happens, if if it's happening early in the employment process, you know, that's the most restrictive. Um, You're checking that box and a system is automatically saying, you're no longer eligible to be an employee at this at this company. And we're seeing some of those go away with, with the ban the box rules at the state level, but at the federal level, it's not a requirement. They employers can put that wherever they want on the application process. And unless people who know that that's going to knock them out immediately, they just go into the black hole because most people don't know that. Or if they do know and they call and say, hey, I, you know, it was a long time ago. It was a nonviolent offense. Um, You know, it it didn't, it's not relatable to the job, which is kind of the, basically the three things that the EEOC says we need to take a look at as employers. Then a group of people or maybe a person that works inside that company has pretty much arbitrary decision-making about whether you get to continue the process or not. So there are so many barriers that are put into place. And we've talked about this, you know, a ton of times, but there are so many barriers to employment for people who've been convicted of a crime. I just don't understand. And I'm not sure how companies are going to react to this additional information that they're probably going to be receiving now. Yeah. So I want to just make sure that, uh, again, for the listeners, uh, this this, uh, proposed legislation here really impacts those that are vying for employment with the federal government or those that 
do business with the government, correct? Right. So uh, think of all of the thousands of federal contractors. Federal contractors. That's it. Yep. 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 Thank you. All right. Cool. And so then my response to your question, what do I think about it? Uh, again, six in one hand, half a dozen in one uh, in another. While we are out on the stage performing and getting hand claps and popping champagne bottles, we're behind the curtain uh, doing something else that erects barriers uh, to employment. And that's not the way that we should be, but we should be pursuing uh, legislation as far as I'm concerned. Again, keeping in mind where we are uh, as a, a country, keeping in mind where we are as it relates to technical disruption and uh, you know, conversations around universal basic income and automation. There's so many things that I could wrap into this. And so when I think about the struggle to find talented individuals, when I think about the gasp, um, the chasm that exists between those that are skilled and prepared to do the work and then those that are looking to be reskilled so that they can compete for work, the last thing, pardon me, the last thing that we need is to simply add another barrier uh, to those individuals being able to secure employment. So uh, I'm glad, you know, when I saw this story and I'm thankful that you put it up, when I saw the story after your post in it, I did see that, you know, certainly some unlikely bedfellows are coming together once again. Uh, and so as we had discussed earlier in the year, the Koch brothers and others were supportive of this. And I'm not at all a fan of the Koch brothers and some of the legislation that they have pursued and subsequently gotten passed across the country. But I do appreciate the fact that they are, and among others, they are loudly saying that, look, this is not something that we need to be pursuing. And so they are continuing to advocate for this as they did before for the First Step Act. So let's hope that, uh, you know, the minds of those that have and are exercising common sense prevail. Yeah. So one thing I saw just actually before we started recording this podcast, and we don't have a lot of time to chat about it, but I I am curious as to what our our listeners think is that the 70 million jobs project that um, we've talked about a couple of times on this show, they just actually turned into a for-profit staffing company for um, organizations that want to put their toes into this re-entry um, population. And, and so I don't know, I don't know what I think about that yet. I I think a non-for-profit staffing company would be okay, except for, you know, what I really don't like about it. And this happens to people with disabilities a lot is companies want to say, well, can we just kind of try you before we buy you? Um, and we don't really want to take the risk of hiring a person with a disability or a person who has a felony conviction and, and has served their time. So they they take these side routes. And a lot of times that ends up steering people into jobs that are beneath their skill level or don't lead to benefits, all those kind of things that we've been talking about a lot. And I was, I was really frustrated. I saw it in HR Dive today when I saw that announcement from, from the 70 million jobs project. Yeah. So uh, I, I think I have a different take on that. You know, I, I applaud uh, Richard uh, Bronson for saying, you know, I'm going to set up a staffing company. Bottom line is these individuals need to be employed. These individuals perform just as good as, if not better than their peers, counterparts, they're equally as reliable in many instances. And so why should we not get paid uh, to to place them? 
you, you, if we can coalesce them, if we can bring them to the party uh, and we can find a suitor that will put some music on and allow them to dance, why not make some money for making that match? So I'm cool with them being a for profit uh, staffing firm, because, again, we need to. Uh, the, the flip side of that, Julie, is oftentimes nonprofits are looked at as being, you know, charitable, uh, not as serious, not as organized, not as focused on the business initiative, if you will. And so Richard is very much so focused. He and his team are very much so focused on, you know, look, this is business. And and if Torrin has a, a criminal background, but he has served his time and if I can find him a job. Um, where he feels like he is going to be adequately compensated, then we should make some money from it. And I don't see a problem with it. Yeah. And I don't have any problem with making money. I just want to make sure that we're not steering people into jobs that underemployment don't get them the same benefits and, and keep them. Yeah. Keep them as second class citizens. They've, they've done their time. They've done their thing. Um, yeah, absolutely. So I think this is where we'll keep it. We'll keep a pin on and we'll just kind of yeah. keep following over the next few months. But yeah. So um, awesome. First story. What, what have you got on your plate torn? Yeah. So um, story number two, not so much. So a big, big story for uh, folks that are live in, you know, half of the U S because the announcement yesterday that the high court, um, is going to consider whether or not Title VII covers LGBTQ bias. Um, again, for half of the states here in the, the U.S., they already make sure that they have laws that are prohibiting, you know, uh, employers from discriminating uh, and categorizing people based on their sexual orientation and gender identity discrimination. It's an issue for the other half, mm-hmm. and that's the problem. We yep. have 50 states, and so we need to work on the other 25 states. And they, of course, are going to be watching this heavily. And so basically what I was able to find out, Julie, is that uh, essentially this 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 case in front of the Supreme Court is really about whether or not gay and transgender workers are protected from discrimination, once again, under Title VII of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. And they're looking specifically at three cases. Uh, I'll name them Altitude Express versus Zarda, uh, which uh, was an individual who was fired. He was a uh, like a skydiving instructor, and he happened to tell one of the patrons that he was gay. Uh, I'm assuming that the patron must have said something to the ownership or management of the business, and then the business subsequently fired Zarda. And this is an old case. Uh, there's another one, Bostock versus Clayton County, which is in Georgia. I didn't get any details on that, so I'm not going to pretend to be a lawyer and a super <laughs> sleuth because I don't have the details. So if you're listening tough. You got to find it on your own. Um, And then the last one was RG and GR Harris Funeral Homes versus the EEOC. And this one here is in reference to an individual employee that disclosed to uh, their supervisor that they wanted to transition. And basically, they would have fallen under the transgender uh, category and that they wanted to wear women's clothing to work and the employer fired them. So in case number one, in case number two, both of them I know happened a long time ago. They have been cases that have been closed and now they are going to be cases that are reopened by the Supreme Court. And really uh, what's important for our listeners to know is that since the EEOC uh, started pushing for broader protections and really keeping track of Title VII infractions uh, from 2013 to 2017. There were a little more than 5,800 charges of sexual orientation 
discrimination that have been noted. Uh, a little more than 5,800, just under 6,000 cases of sexual orientation or gender identity discrimination wow. in businesses across the country. I wonder whether or not, Julie, that has happened in the 25 states where <laughs> they do have laws prohibiting. OK, don't, don't worry. No sidebar. Um, so so the bottom line is the justices are really going to be looking at, you know, bias and gender identity and whether or not these rulings have really already been documented and and whether or not they these employers and employers going forward uh, can make some of their decisions based on a person's uh, identity. Here's my position. Okay. I firmly believe that what they will find, the Supreme Court will err in the side of humanity and common sense, and that they will say that people that fall under the LGBTQ, that's not the full acronym, but the LGBTQ um, acronym that folks are covered. It only makes sense. Like It's not as if they are listening to a case that has something to do with four-legged animals or folks from another planet. Uh, we are talking about humans. And whether or not I consider myself to be gay or lesbian or transgender or queer, um, I'm still, when I show up, I'm still black. I'm still handsome. Whatever <laughs> I consider to be my gender identity, I'm still that and I'm human. And so I absolutely find it um, incredible that we we are spending the time. You know, Julie, as, as a side note, I really wish I could find the research that that uh, underscores and illustrates what these cases cost taxpayers. Oh, yeah. Because I believe that we are the ones paying for uh, the Supreme Court and their salaries and benefits and all of that. And so why is it that they are hearing these cases, but you know, I won't digress. Um, but I do have a question for you. So, so here's my question because I want to be fair. I do want to be fair. I'm five, 11 and a half, almost six feet, 243, maybe 245 pounds. That's very specific. Yeah. I'm coming through with a suit on and I look like, uh, you know, an NFL linebacker for sure. Definitely with a baby belly. So I'm <laughs> <laughs> with a little belly. Uh, but hey, listen. So if I decided that I wanted to undergo the surgery and become a woman, and I'm serious, Julie, when I'm asking you this question, if I decided that I wanted to become a woman and then I wanted to suit up in pads and play football against women, or I wanted to enter into a boxing ring against another woman, I'm curious if you're comfortable ask answering. I'm curious. Do you see that as being fair for Torin to become a woman and then compete against women? So I think that sports questions are kind of the most extreme that we're we're talking about here. I mean, most of the time we're really just talking about going to work. Now, is there are there going to be differences that? may give the linebacker, the handsome linebacker, as I'm told, um, a, a distinct advantage over boxing me, possibly, um, probably, depending on and how I train. But I think that when we think about these things, we also have to think in terms of just because Torn may, Torn does not make the choice to become transgender, Torn makes the choice for his body to reflect the gender that he 
believes he was born into. And so when you really think about it in medical terms, I think it changes a lot of those discussions, but they're still so new. I don't know, I would say exactly how to make a great argument on fairness. What I think, and you did a really nice job setting this this story up, and I think it's uber important to the companies that that are listening to us. And for the most part, I think that, let me just be frank, if the court decides incorrectly, which I think is a good possibility that they will, companies have an obligation to figure this shit out, right? I, I got to sit in a a presentation last year with Berkeley Labs, and it was a fantastic presentation on how they were setting up their reference system. So I, I quit my job and I need a reference from a former employer at Berkeley Lab, um, but I've transitioned as, as a transgender man or transgender female. How do you, as Berkeley Labs, protect that individual who's transitioned when they were employed with you, maybe under their original gender. And really smart companies are already getting ahead of this. And like we talked about United last week, getting ahead of this. Um, but what I, I really see that might be happening, I'm not as optimistic as you are with the finding because from what I read, and again, neither of us are lawyers, so take it for what it's worth, right? Um, is that this is really asking the court to define sex or change sex to gender identity. And I don't know that we have a court that is currently of the mindset that gender can be something legally other than male or female. No, I didn't. But so let me say the reason why I put that in, and I I appreciate you adding a different dimension, a more refined context around it, because again, you didn't allow the example that I gave to be the prevailing example. Again, it's really about work and, you know, not so much so around so many people trying to enter into a ring. So thank you for that. But the reason why I brought it up, you know, I I suspect that, uh, you know, thousands, millions of people feel the way that you feel, Julie. Uh, There is the Equality Act, which was introduced in March of 2019. Um, And it's H.R. 5S788. Uh, again, it's uh, entered into March uh, 2019, the Equality Act, uh, which is H.R. 5, S as in Sam, 788. And basically, the Equality Act would provide consistent and explicit non-discrimination protections for LGBTQ people across key areas of life. That includes employment, housing, credit, education, public spaces, services, and federally funded programs along with jury service. And currently that's a tacit understanding based on Title VII of the Civil Rights Act, but the Equality Act would embed it and make it legislation. So to your point, my dear, that the Supreme Court and no others will be able to kind of play around with it. They want it to be actual law. And so for a lot of people, they are pushing the Equality Act. And the reason I gave that example, and we'll make sure that we post this because we want to be seen as fair. Uh, You know, there are those on the right who said that this is really nothing more. This Equality Act is nothing more than a bait and switch. And so we're going to post the link up. I found a great story from uh, a lady by the name of Stella Morabito. Uh, on the Federalist, and her piece is titled "Why the So-Called Equality Act is a Bait and Switch Power Grab." And 
I'm just going to put one quote up and then we're done with this. It just simply says, uh, or she says, instead, the newly injected category of LGBTQ, which refers to an entire panoply of personal relationships, social activities, attitudes, and various feelings of identity that can change from day to day. And so what she is saying is that the LGBTQ piece is more of a, oh, you know, whimsical decision and not the the way that you described it a moment ago. So I think that um, I personally believe you and I are split. Uh, I believe that the Supreme Court in October, when they hear this case, uh, is going to come down on the side of protecting these individuals under the LGBTQ class. But I'm also not willing to leave it up to chance. And for all of our listeners reach out to your congressional figures and express how you feel around the Equality Act so that we can or cannot, you know, just solidify uh, Title Seven legislation from 1964 because we want to protect yep. all people. Yep. And and I just have to tell you, yeah. anything on the Federalist makes me a little itchy. Um, <laughs> I did that on purpose. I know how, I get, I know how to oh, get you to did. you. Hey, so look, let me hit a couple of name drops real quick, and I'm sure you got some. I'm going to go first. Um Real quick on this, but the AI Now Institute uh, dropped the report uh, last week on artificial intelligence and the lack of representation. It is absolute, absolute must read material. AI Now Institute dot org. A is an apple. I is an institute. Now, AI Now Institute dot org. Read that paper. It's titled, let me just find it real quick. It is titled, I'm sorry, Discriminating Systems, Gender, Race, and Power in AI. Mm -hmm. Last name drop that I want to put out is Russell Westbrook, Seattle Seahawks, his act of kindness. Let me tell you, he signed a major, major, major deal. And what he did in part is he bought his lineman stock in Amazon. I'm not supporting the purchase of stock in Amazon. Mm -hmm. I'm supporting the act of kindness. He understood that in order for him to be a great quarterback, he has to take care of his line. And so I really want our listeners out there to think about how you show up and work and how can you be a better teammate? Awesome. I'll definitely check out that AI. I'm super interested in in where this is going to take us. Um, name drops for me. So first, um, Dennis Kennedy, who is the CEO, president of the National Diversity Council um, for bringing together a kick-ass conference last week, not only, and if you follow me on social media, you know this, I, I got to see uh, the President Obama, brought President Obama, um, Colin Powell together, and America Ferreira. It was a fantastic conference with a lot of great ideas and a lot of great leaders. So shout out to Dennis and his team for doing an amazing job under extreme circumstances. And second uh, to Daryl Graves, who is an awesome listener of Crazy in the King. What's up, Daryl? Hello, Daryl. Thank you so much. You made my entire week uh, last pod drop when you said one of your favorite days of the week is when a new Crazy in the King pod drops. Um, so thanks for that shout out and all the love that you've been giving us on Twitter. That's super awesome. We really appreciate it. So what are you up to yeah, um, for the next couple weeks, Tor? Yeah, so I am headed to uh, Yellow's Strive 19 conference. It uh, it kicks off on May 1st in Chicago. I'll be speaking on May 2nd keynote uh, titled Dinosaurs, Lions, and Diversity. Uh, I promise you it's going to be a special experience. It's going to be memorable. And I'm going to have the room on full beam from the moment I put my hand on that microphone. You can actually 
Also catch me this week on Sirius XM channel 126 uh, at 1 p.m. on Sunday when I'm interviewing uh, Mr. Don Prophet. He was the first African-American, hear me clearly, the first African-American attorney to have his name placed on the door of a white shoe law firm that happened in 2015. So I just want people to understand that even now we are still talking about first. I would love for us to get to a point where we're not talking about first. We're just simply celebrating the fact that we are building and doing some incredible things. Awesome. 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 And uh, next, before next pod, I will be at the TA tech conference Europe in Lisbon, Portugal. Um, otherwise I'm just going to enjoy my couch for the next week or week and a half. And I'm going to grab me a cigar and some scotch. And I want all of you to make sure you remember what we asked. We asked, how can you show up differently in the workplace? And we also asked that you tell a friend to tell a friend to subscribe, no matter what platform you are on. Julie and I are committed. We are trying to do good work and shift the narrative. I appreciate my partner in pod, Miss Julie Sowash. All right, y'all have a great week. We're out. Ghost. Thanks for listening to Crazy in the King podcast. I'm Julie Sowash, your co-host with Torn Ellis. Follow us on social media as Torn Ellis or Julie Sowash. And also follow our hashtag, Crazy and the King. This episode was produced by my gorgeous husband, Chad Sowash. And our music is by DJ Sells, straight out of Baltimore. You can find Crazy and the King wherever you find your podcasts. Please rate us. And if you like it, share it with a friend. We'll see you soon. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transformed, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.